Welcome to Shiloh Church. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you are in the Jacksonville, Florida area, please join us for worship or watch our services online at shiloh.church. Thank you. The way to Genesis 22 for the reading of our text for the morning. Genesis chapter 22. I want to begin reading at verse number one. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible, and therein the reading is this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he got the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. They came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, It shall be provided. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Verse 1 again. After these things, God tested Abraham. I want to label the message simply, testing time. 
Genesis 22 is the climax of the adventures of Abraham as recorded in Genesis chapters 13 through 23. The story of our text is arguably the most remarkable story in the Old Testament. F.B. Meyer says, as long as men are on the earth, they will turn to this story with unwaning interest. There is only one story in history by which it is surpassed, that where the greater father offered up his son Isaac to a death from which there would be no deliverance. Likewise, Genesis 22 records one of the most perplexing stories in the Bible. As God commands Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a burnt offering. Child sacrifice to idol gods was commonplace among pagan people in Abraham's day. God strictly forbade the children of Israel from practicing child sacrifice. Yet here, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his only son. The command floods the minds with questions about the character of God, the promises of Scripture, and the nature of faith. Abraham had to go through this experience without the benefit of this text or any other to help him understand what God was up to. But for our benefit, Genesis 22 begins with an editorial note, if you will, that gives us a sense of the agenda God has in the text. Verse 1 again says, after these things, God tested Abraham. When I was a boy, my afternoon cartoons were occasionally interrupted by an announcer who declared, this is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. And then a high screeching tone would blow for what seemed to be an eternity. And when it was finally over, the announcer would again say, this was only a test. If there was a real emergency, the tone would have been followed by emergency instructions. This was only a test. I was interrupted and irritated that my cartoons were interrupted. But unalarmed because of that announcement, this is only a test. God interrupted Abraham's world with emergency instructions from heaven without telling Abraham that it was only a test until after the test was over. And it teaches us that without warning, permission, or explanation, there will come times when God will test your faith. A faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Are you prepared to face testing time? How will you respond when testing time Comes. What does it take to get a passing grade at testing 
time. Genesis 22, 1 through 14 teaches us, in the real sense, it's a sanctified cheat sheet to help us for the inevitable test of faith that we will experience in life. Consider first with me the God-ordained reality of testing time, the God-ordained reality of testing time. Who tested Abraham? As you read the adventures of Abraham, you will see Abraham tested by relatives, friends, neighbors, enemies, circumstances, and even by his own sinful mistakes. Verse 1 says, after these things, God tested Abraham. The King James Version said God did tempt Abraham. James 1 verse 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, God is tempting me, because God cannot be tempted with evil, neither does God tempt any man. God does not tempt us or solicit us to do evil or set traps to get us to fall into sin, but God does test in order to confront, reveal, and nurture our faith. Psalm 11 verse 5 makes it clear, the Lord tests the righteous. Mark it down. Blessings trigger test of faith. If you are in the school of faith, God's goal is to promote you to graduation, but promotion Spiritual promotion requires divine testing. God tested Abraham. When did God test Abraham? Verse 1 says, after these things. That's a reference back to Genesis chapter 21, where three key events happen in the life of Abraham. First, Isaac, the son of promise, for which Abraham has been waiting for more than 25 years, is finally born. The second key event is initiated at the circumcision of Isaac. During the feast, stay with me, during the feast, Sarah, Abraham's wife, caught Ishmael, Abraham's illegitimate son, by Abraham's slave, Hagar, making fun of his son, Isaac. That's a mouthful. Let me try it again. (laughs) Ishmael was Abraham's illegitimate son that Abraham and Sarah conspired on when they thought time was running out on the promises of God. And at this circumcision feast, the tension between wife Sarah and slave Hagar is rekindled over their respective sons. And Sarah demanded that Abraham kick Hagar and Ishmael out the house. Abraham went to the Lord, and the Lord said, do what your wife told you to do. He sent Hagar and Ishmael away, leaving him to focus on the son of promise. And the chapter then ends with the third key event where King Abimelech, Abimelech of Gerar 
sensing Abraham's growing strength, comes to make a peace treaty with Abraham to protect him against Abraham in the future. If you want a summary of all of that, you can just write over chapter 21, two words, Abraham's promotion. In chapter 1, we find Abraham's promotion, but chapter 22 begins by saying, after these things, God tested Abraham. What a strange teacher who gives a final exam after promoting the student. God gave Abraham the son of, I, uh, the son of promise, Isaac. God resolved the haggard dilemma for Abraham. God made Abraham's enemies be at peace with him. We find that this takes place, says verse 31, 34 of chapter 21, after many days. Apparently, Abraham was growing in strength and comfort and prominence, and yet the text says, after these things, God tested Abraham. Listen to me, church. God will not warn you when a test is coming. All of his tests are pop quizzes. But there is a clue in the text. God has a tendency of giving you a test when you get to a place of strength, comfort, stability, prominence, and satisfaction. When things are going well in your life, don't stop studying. A test is coming. Test may lead to promotion, but promotion always leads to a test. How did God test Abraham? Verse 2, he said, take your son, your only son whom you love. Well, just stop there. Notice the layered identification of Isaac in verse 2. Your son, your only son whom you love. Your son refers to Eleazar of Damascus, Genesis 15, verse 2, a slave in Abraham's house who became his heir when he didn't have a son. Your son, your only son, is a reference to his illegitimate son, Ishmael, whom God had just commanded him to send away. He has another son named Ishmael, but God says, Isaac is your only son. That's a hint for you. If God doesn't give it, he don't count it. Your son, your only son, whom you love. Suffice it to say there that that second verse is the first reference to love in the Bible. And it is a statement for, of Abraham's love for Isaac. Having established Abraham's heart for Isaac, verse 2 says, take him and offer him in the land of Moriah as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, let's be clear. God will never command you to do what he commanded Abraham to do, but what he commanded Abraham to do is a sign of how God will test your faith. You do know that every trial is not a test of faith. Some trials are just the consequences of our sinful behavior. Sometimes we are caught in the crossfire of spiritual warfare, and some 
Trials are just the result of living in a fallen world. I have a technical theological term for it. Here it is, life. But when is your situation a test of faith? I submit to you today, friends, that it is a test of faith when you face circumstances that force you to ask this question, what is God up to? Have you ever had to ask that question? In Genesis chapter 21, verse 12, God makes it clear to Abraham that the promised blessings to Abraham would come through Isaac, not Ishmael. The nation of Israel would come through Isaac, not Ishmael. The Messiah King, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come through Isaac, not Ishmael. The redemptive plan to save lost humanity would be fulfilled through Isaac, not Ishmael. Isaac was the centerpiece of the promises of God, and yet God commanded Abraham to kill Isaac. How can Isaac be the fulfillment of promise and you command Isaac to be killed? Why, God? How can God make, how can God keep his promise and make Abraham obey his command? What is God up to? That's the test of faith. It's a test of faith when you are going through circumstances that cause you to question what you think you know about God. This is where Abraham was, and you'll get there. The French mystic, Madame Guillaume, wrote that the the conception of the spiritual life, the hard task is how to bear with your neighbor. In its progress, how to bear with yourself. And at the end, how to bear with God. Here we see the God-ordained reality of testing time, but what you see as well, the God-honoring response to testing time. Verses 1 and 2 is the radical command. Verses 3 through 8 shift from the Radical command of God to Abraham's response. Here we see how to respond when testing time comes. This is the heart of the text. How should you respond when your faith is tested? First, respond to God with willful submission. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him him. In chapter 21, when God commanded Abraham to get rid of Ishmael, he debated with God, but there was no debate here. I don't know how Abraham slept that night, but early the next morning, without delay or debate, he arose to do what God commanded him to do. He loaded his donkey he got wood and knife and fire, took a couple of servants with him along with Isaac and went to the place that God appointed. And in so doing, Abraham demonstrates the proof of faith. The proof of faith is obedience. Faith has nothing to do with what you say. 
Faith is not about what you affirm and confess and profess. Faith is about what you do. The proof of faith is obedience to God. If you will check James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Hear this, church. Abraham is not called God's friend because he was able to get God to do what he wanted God to do. Abraham was called a friend of God because God was able to get Abraham to do what God wanted Abraham to do. To be a friend of God is to willingly submit to his commands. You must respond to God with willful submission, but you must secondly respond to God with a reverent attitude. Look at verses 4 and 5 of the text. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. (laughs) After three agonizing days of travel, they reached Mount Moriah. Before they began to trek up the mountain range, he told his young men, stay here. That's all he needed to say, but he gave them a statement of his intentions. He says, me and the boy are going to worship. Note the next statement at the end of verse 5, and come back again. So just so that you can be clear about what is about to happen, Abraham is going to climb Mount Moriah. He is going to take stones and build an altar. He's going to lay wood planks over the stone, lay his son on that wood plank, bind his hands and feet, take a knife and cut his throat. He's not going to stop there. He's going to cut the boy into pieces and set the pieces on fire. That's the phrase burnt offering. He is going to burn his remains until his son is nothing but ashes before God. But the word he used to describe that in verse 5 is worship. This is not deceptive language to throw off the servants so that they will stop him. This is his understanding of the nature of the act. Burnt offering was an act of worship. And what Abraham is saying is that this is still an act of worship. Although he is now offering his son, not one of his sheep, it is still an act of worship. Why? Because The offering has changed, but the essential truth hasn't changed that God was worthy. You might not like that, but that's the truth. This is what Abraham is saying. He's saying God was worthy when I was giving him a lamb, and God is still worthy now that he's asking for my son. Here's the bottom line of the text. God can never ask too much of you.
God is worthy. This is why Abraham responded obediently to this painful command. And this should be your response, no matter what God commands you to do. Psalm 116 verse 12 says, what shall I render unto God for all his benefits toward me? God is not honored when you have an attitude that says, what's the least I can do without God getting upset? God deserves more than the least you can do. God is worthy of the best that you have. So you should respond to God with a reverent attitude and with willful submission, but you should also respond to God with steadfast confidence. I'm at verse 6. The servants are not permitted to go with Abraham, and apparently the climb is so steep that he doesn't let the donkey go. But the wood for the altar is then placed on the shoulders of his son, who has to carry up a hill the instrument of his own death. Y'all not even with me this morning. The end of verse 6 says that the two went together. Picturing the agony of this, this experience. We don't know. We're not told exactly how old Isaac was, but he had to be old enough to be able to carry wood that he would be stretched out on. And he was old enough to have done this with his father so that he knew what it took to have a basic sacrificial worship service. And while they're climbing Mount Moriah, he's doing a mental checklist. Okay, we got wood for the offering. <laughs> we got fire, we got a knife. Something's missing. His father, the experienced worship, had forgotten to bring the essence of a sacrifice. A sacrifice. And he says to his father then, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Look at verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide. The answer seems evasive because there is a more direct answer, right? Isaac, where is the lamb? Abraham, you are the lamb. But instead, he says, God will provide. God will provide is a statement of his confidence in the goodness, faithfulness, and sovereignty of God. God will provide. Read on just a little bit. God will provide. Look at the next two words. For himself. The implication of that is he'll do it by himself. He don't need us to do it. But the literal meaning is the wording of the text. God will provide it for himself. This is an offering to God, and God will provide for himself the offering. I don't have an offering, but God will provide it for himself. Y'all are missing what's going on here. Let me show you. God tested Abraham, but now Abraham is testing God. The the command of God has created a moral 
ethical and theological dilemma. And by his actions, Abraham is saying, God put himself in this situation. God will get himself out of this situation. God will provide a way for me to obey his command and keep his promise at the same time. How in the world is God going to do that? Hebrews chapter 11, if you're taking notes, jot down Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, tells us what was on Abraham's mind. The key verse is Hebrews 11, verse 19. Hebrews 11, verse 19 tells us that Abraham believed that if he did what God commanded and sacrificed Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. There was nothing in history that would give Abraham any reason to believe in such a thing as resurrection from the dead. But he just had so much confidence in God that he said, if this is the child of promise and God told me to kill the child of promise and I got to kill the child of promise, the only solution I can is God must go raise him up after I kill the child of promise. And friends, let me ask you. If Abraham believed in the goodness, faithfulness, and sovereignty of God with no evidence of what God can do, how much more should you and me who believe in the crucified and risen Savior trust that God will provide? Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, And my God shall supply. Not some, not certain, not specific, not special, not spiritual needs. He shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus our Lord. Does anybody believe that in here today? That whatever the need is, God will provide. Martha Cook said it well. In one way or other. God will provide. It may not be my way. It may not be your way. And yet, in his own way, the Lord will provide. At some time or other, the Lord will provide. It may not be my time. It may not be your time. And yet, in his own time, the Lord will provide. Despond then no further. The Lord will provide. Let this be your token. No word he has spoken was ever yet broken. The Lord will provide. But move on with me to see the God intended reason for testing time. Verse 9 When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. The angel of the Lord is, is, is what is called a Christophany. It is a pre-existent manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ making a special appearance on earth before he is born in Bethlehem's barn. The Lord showed up with a message. 
This is another example of the prophetic foreshadowings of this text. I don't know if you've caught the connections. But centuries later, on this mountain, Solomon will build the temple of God. And centuries after that, another father will place wood on his son's shoulders. It'll be a three-day journey. He'll make him climb the hill, carrying the instrument of his sacrifice. He'll lay him on the wood. Except in this later instance, there will be no ram for God. When the Father will send the S, capital S, O-N, up the hill. There'll be no one to take his place because he will die there to take our place. You better hear me. You better thank God that God don't have a ram in the bush for himself. He let his son die so that he would be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. But as glorious as these allusions to Calvary are, that's not the point of the story. You want the point of the story? Is that verse 11? This is the point of the story. The angel of the Lord says to Abraham, now I know that you fear God. This is not breaking news. Mark it down. Let me tell you what, let me tell you what omniscience means. Omniscience means God never learns anything. This was a test to prove where your faith was. And now we know that you fear God because he says you did not withhold anything from God, including your only son. So don't freak out in the text about human sacrifice. This is not about that. This is about God testing Abraham's affections. God didn't want Isaac's life. God wanted Abraham's heart. Abraham struggled to keep his priorities in order before he received Isaac, and all the more he struggled after he received Isaac. And that's what, that's what happens. It's, it's easier to trust and obey God when you want something from him. It's harder to keep trusting and obeying after you get what you want. Watchman Nee said it this way. The God gives gifts and puts them in our hands. When he gives the gifts, our hands are full. Before he gives the gifts, our hands are empty. When we come to God with open hands for the gift, he places them in our hands. But later, God comes to us and reaches out his hand for fellowship. But when your hands are full and you are too busy nursing the gift, you don't have an empty hand to reach out to God. 
You see, friends, what I'm trying to tell you is God does not mind you holding things in high esteem. Your job, your work, money, house, car, family, friends, career. God does not mind you holding those things in high esteem. God only demands that you hold them with an open hand so that if he asks you for it, he doesn't have to fight you for it. And let me tell you something. You'll never enjoy what God puts in your hands until you recognize that the stuff in your hands don't belong to you. They belong to God, and He's got a right to ask you for whatever He has placed in His hands, in your hands. You, you, have, you have yearned for sweet peace and for faith to increase. You've earnestly, fervently prayed. But you cannot find rest or be perfectly blessed until all on the altar is laid. One more thing. Consider the God-exalting revelation of testing time. The God-exalting revelation of testing time. Look at verse 13. Lord, help me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, that's the key word, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. You say, isn't that a coincidence? Nope. The narrator wants you to know it's not a coincidence. This is why he says, behold. Behold means look, watch this, pay attention. This is not accidental or incidental. This is a miracle of God. This is what, I, this is what I've started calling accidents of providence. Accidents of providence. On the surface, it just looked like it just happened. But behind the scenes, the invisible hand of divine providence is manipulating circumstances so that all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. You missed it. I need to try it again. Listen to me very clearly, friends. Nothing just happens. God makes it happen. That ram didn't just show up. God sent it there to provide for Abraham. Where did God provide? God provided for Abraham at the place of obedience. That's why if you like it or not, you better show up to where God tells you to be and do what God tells you to do. Because if Abraham didn't go up that mountain, there would be no need for a ram to get caught in the bush by his horns. It is only because Abraham obeyed that God provided the ram. 
And watch this. It wouldn't have, it would have been a lot easier if God would have provided the ram at the foot of Mount Moriah so that the servants wouldn't have thought that Abraham had gone crazy going to offer sacrifice without a sacrifice. But oh, you got to get to a place where you don't care what people think. Sometimes you got to do what the Lord would have you to do, even if it don't make sense to people around you. And if you do that, God will provide what you need, when you need it, where you need it, right in the nick of time. Have I got a witness? Watch me. Watch me. While Abraham, while God is leading Abraham up one side of Moriah, God is leading the ram up the other side of Moriah. And Abraham is wondering, how is God going to work this out? He doesn't know that on the other side of the mountain, there's a ram on the way. How do you find it out? You got to keep going. I'm talking to somebody here. You, you trying to do what God tells you to do and you don't know how God going to work that thing out. I'm going to just tell you, don't turn back now. Keep going. And when you get to the place of obedience, God will provide what you need, when you need, where you need it. God provided for Abraham. So he didn't have to sacrifice his son, but the sacrifice was still required. So the end of verse 13 says, Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You should note verse 13. It is the first reference to substitutionary atonement in the Bible. Isaac should have died, but the ram took its place. Y'all sleep, but you missed. That's how you got saved. If you got saved, that's how it happened. You should have died. But a lamb took your place. I bet you like me, we went to different schools, but, but we both had the same experience. You know what our, the best day of school is? When you show up and it's a substitute. And especially you didn't do your homework, you didn't study for the test, that project you was working on, you didn't finish, and you've been up all night, you've been worried, you've been trying to fake a stomach ache. I, I had asthma, I started breathing hard like I was having an asthma attack, trying to get out of, out of going to school, and then you show up and you walk in the class, and teach ain't there. All your anxiety is gone. All your fear is gone. Because someone substituted. This is the doctrine of atonement. All of us are sinners. God is holy. We are not. One day you're going to have to answer to God for how you have lived your life. And you're not ready. 
you'll never be ready to pass that test. Your only hope is that when you stand before God, there's a substitute who has taken your place. Are y'all in here with me? This is what God has provided in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, made him Christ who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He sacrificed the ram. Verse 14 says he renamed the mountain. Verse 8, he says God will provide. God did provide. And Abraham was smart enough to give credit where credit is due. He renamed the place to honor the goodness, faithfulness, and sovereignty of God. Just if you're keeping score, the one who issued the test provided what was needed to pass the test. God begins the story as the tester. God ends the story as the provider. And to give credit where credit is due, Abraham renames the place. In Hebrew, the name is Jehovah Jireh. In English, it is commonly translated, the Lord will provide. But the Hebrew word for provide is the same word for sight or vision. And the literal rendering of it is this, and I like this better. The Lord will see to it. If you will do what God commands you to do, God will see to it that you have what you need to pass the test. Don't, don't judge that by your present circumstances. Run to the cross and look at Jesus. When you needed a Savior, God saw to it. Even though it meant that he had to send his only begotten son into the world so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God will see to it. I thought you'd be more excited about that. You, it, it may be that you could take that so coolly because you, you're still trying to process how God will do it. With all due respect, friend, how is not your business? How is God's business? You better just make sure you focus on the who. And if you know the who, the who will take care of the how. That's what they used to sing when I was a little boy. The Lord will make a way. Oh, you grew up in church with me, didn't you? The Lord will see to it. The house set on fire. Father led his wife and children down the stairs to safety. 
But then he heard the scream from a familiar voice. His son, frightened, turned back to his room where he was caught by the flames. Daddy stood under the window and yelled out to his son, jump out the window and daddy will catch you. He said, I'm afraid, daddy, I can't jump. He says, son, time is running out. You've got to jump into daddy's arms. Son said, I can't do it, daddy, I'm scared. Firmly, he says, son, jump now before it's too late. Son said, daddy, but I can't see you through the smoke. Daddy says, jump anyway. You can't see me, but I can see you. <laughs> be not dismayed. Whatever be tired, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Through days of toil, when your heart does fail, God will take care of you. Though dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. Whatever may be your test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast. God will take care of you. I'm through. God be praised for his word. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For contact information, ministry updates, as well as our live Sunday morning broadcast please visit us online at shallow.church. Thanks again for listening. Have a blessed day.